G'day friends, welcome back. Well, <clears throat> that was a bananas round of football. We've just completed the Easter weekend round, round three, with Hawthorne and Geelong finishing up this evening in the traditional Easter Monday clash. Um, only a couple of the games this weekend were actually close, but every single game meant a lot in the landscape of the AFL, I think. So, there is a shitload to talk about. So, let's get into it. So, I normally do do the games in order when I do my round reviews, but I need to talk about St Kilda first. This is a podcast where I try to talk about every team, um, but I am a St Kilda fan, and you know when it does lead towards a certain team, this show, it does lead towards St Kilda. Alright, so, defeated by Essendon on Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening, by 75 points. I have not seen a performance as pathetic and listless as that from St Kilda in, I don't know how long. I can't think of one off the top of my head, so it's been a while. When you lose, especially when you lose big, when you lose because of just a discrepancy in skill level, Or, you know, maybe you have lots of injuries before or during the game or whatever. And you just, you know, you run out of steam, whatever. That's fair enough. I can cop a a loss, even a big loss, if it makes sense to me in my head. Right? North Melbourne losing to the Bulldogs by 100 plus points. Although it is a bit extreme, it makes sense. Right? I have never seen us put in so little effort. 14 players with one tackle or less. Which is another way of saying I think there was 8 players for St Kilda. I believe it was 8 who had 0 tackles for an entire game of football. 35 tackles for the entire team for 2 hours where we were, like, where Essendon had the ball twice as much as we did. I don't understand how we've gone from round one, where we had one of the most impressive victories in recent memory, you know, loads of players out, scrappy, wet weather game, really hard-fought victory. Like, that victory... Everyone's thinking, shit, if St Kilda can win a game like this, 
with a third of their best side missing, what are they going to be able to do at Marvel with more of their good players back? Fuck all, apparently, is the answer. So we went from that brilliant win against GWS to a disappointing loss against Melbourne. Even that loss against Melbourne, I could make sense of it because Max Gorn, Jake Lever and Stephen May completely ruined our game plan. We, we could not play around Melbourne's setup. Melbourne were very good as well through the midfield and their, their forward line was very good. But, you know, that, that those, like their setup totally messed us up. And, that, and that's why they were able to win. And even so, they only beat us by three or four goals, whatever it was. Essendon themselves lost three key players just last week. So they got absolutely belted by Port Adelaide last week. And in that game, they lost Liam Shields. Liam Shields. Sorry, Dylan Shield, um, who's obviously one of their best players, best midfielder. One of their best midfielders. Jai Corbell, definitely their best team, um, great young midfielder, and their ruckman, Sam Draper. So me, and apparently the entire St Kilda team, just assumed that we were going to win pretty comfortably. How naive. How foolish of me to think that. Um, about halfway through the first quarter, I was seeing... Players who should be completely fresh, not chasing, not applying any pressure, and I started to get really worried. It, it As the minutes rolled on, it became more and more obvious that we were not going to win. Um, it was before halftime where I was pretty well convinced that there, we were no chance um, of coming back. I'm worried now about a lot of things, a lot of things. There, there was maybe four or five players who actually worked really hard and can hold their head high. Jack Steele, again, shows why he's the captain. 35 disposals and a goal, I believe. Um, he, he was excellent. It was Brad Crouch's first game for the club. I thought, you know, he only had 15 disposals, but he hit the scoreboard as well. And, you know, he hasn't played in a little while, so, you know, I wasn't disappointed with his effort and everything he did do was, you know, not bad. Um, Billings was very good in the first half. He sort of went missing in the second half, but he was very good in the first half. Higgins was good, kicked three goals. Membry, good again, very consistent, hard worker. But just about everyone else. Howard, you know, did his best, but nowhere near his form from last week. Um, yeah, no one else can really say that they earned their St. Kilda jumper in that game. Everyone's talked about Brad Hill, so, you know, I won't go on and on about him, but I'm really worried about him and about Hanabry. Now, they're in very different situations. But they're both getting a lot of money. Probably the two, along with Crouch, highest paid players at the club. Um, last year with Hill, the teething issues are fine. What you know, I understand that it does take a bit of time to become familiar with a player. 
especially a player like that when they're new to the club. But it has continued into this year. He is having zero impact. He's an All-Australian, I think, is he? Definitely All-Australian calibre. Um, best and fairest winner. He, at his best, obviously three-time Premiership player, him at his best is the best wingman in the competition by such a long way. He's got an enormous tank. His foot skills are as elite as they come. He can be so damaging, so damaging. He should be one of our best players every single week. But he just seems to not give one solitary fuck about his or the team's performance. He seems quite content on, you know, sitting on his $800,000 a year or whatever it is and just doing nothing every week. At least this week, he hit targets. He went at 100% disposal efficiency this week, which is a lot better than last week, where he was more of a hindrance than a help every time he touched the ball. But still, only 16 disposals, only 200-something metres gained. It astounds me the way he's playing. And he spoke, although not in the leadership group, he is one of the leaders at the club. And unfortunately, we're in no position to drop him because we have no one to come in and take his place. On to Hanabry. Hanabry is on a similar amount of money, has been for 12 months longer than he'll. They need him and the St Kilda medical people need to fix his calves or whatever the fuck is wrong with him. Because he's just money getting burnt in the fucking car park at Linton Street, right? He's played 13 games in what? In two and a bit years. If, if, if we're not getting anything out of him and really anything out of Brad Hill, it, we're, we're not going to win a premiership with this group because come the end of the year, right, we're going to have an enormous amount of money invested in these players that are doing dick all. And then Billings, for example, free agent this year is going to go because we're not going to have the money to keep him, right? Seb Ross is going to get a lot of it because he's actually playing really well. We'll get a lot of interest. He's going to go because we're not, because they're going to be not quite as much money, but not far off. Six, seven hundred thousand dollar players, we're not going to be able to keep them. Right? And and they're going to want to go after Ben King at the end of next year. Where's the money going to come from to do that? There is a lot that I'm worried about. Forget the bloody effort on field. There are a lot more problems at St Kilda at the moment. The on field stuff at least can be fixed at least in my mind, easily, right? It's only round three. There's still 19 more games to go. We've got a lot of time to fix this, but we cannot wait until we've played these next three very tough games against West Coast, Richmond, and Port Adelaide. We cannot wait. It's got to be fixed before next week, before Saturday against West Coast. And it's not, you know... 
there's nothing wrong with our skill level. There's nothing wrong with how fit we are. It's all in their heads. All in their heads. It should, like, I don't know if it if it's rats that needs to fix it or if it's the boys that need to just wake up. If it's Steel and Geary who need to give them a pep talk. I don't care. But it absolutely has to happen. Or this year's going to be gone by round six. If we get to round six and we're one and five, that's it. In fact, <laughs> even if we're two and four, that's probably it. We need to win two of the next three and level it out, be three and three, to, you know, wrestle this season back under control. Because at the moment, we are going to become a joke so fast, I cannot describe how unfunny it will be. Cannot describe. I could go on for another hour about where St Kilda are at. I posted today on Instagram about five players specifically who need to pull their finger out. So go have a look at that if you're a Saints fan and you want to just hear me vent a little bit more. Um, but yeah, I it has to be fixed. has to be fixed. If we come up against the Eagles on Saturday and get smashed again, I don't know. I, and, and they can't even go to selection and try and wake some of these players up because we've got no one left to come in. Gresham is now done for the year, which is so sad. So sad. He's on the verge of 100 games. He's been on the verge of 100 games since the middle of last season. Just keeps getting injured. And season-ending injuries are always terrible. Always terrible, especially like this early on in the year. And he was our one midfielder who's actually a bit of a point of difference. He's actually got some flair and some creativity and some spark. But, it, you know, it'll mean Bytel's going to be in the side every week now, which I guess is good. And Jones hurt his ankle. Don't know how long that's going to last for. You know, Marshall played three quarters of a game in the VFL this week. Don't know if... Bringing him in for the West Coast game will be rushing him, especially going up against Nick Natanui. Um, but Ryder has returned to Melbourne today as well. So do they wait, give them both a fortnight and bring them in against Richmond? Um, I don't know. Don't know, don't know, don't know. Don't know. I will be waiting to see how they, as a team, respond on Saturday night. And I'm not going to have my hopes up. I will not do that to myself anymore because it is just so frustrating. So frustrating. I don't need that in my life, honestly. All right, that's enough whinging about how crap the Saints were. Essendon were... Excellent. They were really, really good. Given the injuries they also had, really impressed with how the Bombers went. Peter Wright dominated. Carlisle and McKernan in the ruck. Darcy Parrish needs to play in the midfield every game now for the rest of his career. That is where he belongs. Um, Stringer looks very fit. Fitter than he looked last year, so he was good. Um... And yeah, their, their pressure, 
given how many youngsters they had in. All these young players, a lot in their first or second year, their, their pressure shows what you can do. You don't need to have the cattle necessarily. If you just pile on the pressure, you can achieve a lot. And they scored heavily. So uh, as pissed off as I was with St Kilda's performance, I was equally impressed with what SNM were able to do. So well done, Essendon. All right, let's not talk about that game anymore. Let's go back to Thursday night, which is a lifetime ago now, it seems. It was one of the only close games for the entire round. Brisbane miraculously getting the victory over Collingwood. What a game this was. And how amazingly poetic it was in the end as well. So last week, the game that Brisbane should have won... Zach Bailey laying the tackle on Mark Blitzarves that didn't get paid free kick. And then come the end of the game on Thursday night, who is it with the you know the opportunity to win the game for Brisbane after the siren with a shot on goal? Zach Bailey. That is some of the most remarkable football poetry, football magic, football coincidence that I've ever encountered. And of course... He went back and nailed it. Everyone loves a good goal after the siren, unless you're on the the uh, receiving end of it, and then it is not very fun, but everyone loves one. Um, this is a really interesting game. I thought, you know, Collingwood are going to be better than people thought this year. Obviously played very well against Carlton last week, but to play the way they did against Brisbane was very impressive. Um... Brisbane needed to win this game, and I thought that they would just because of that back-against-the-wall situation they were in. Obviously, they're stuck in Victoria for a little while because of the COVID stuff up in Queensland. Really tough loss against Geelong, game that they should have won, we all know. Um, They had to come out and win. They had to come out and win, and it was a really, really bloody tough game, and even though Collingwood led for almost the entire game and Brody Grundy was dominating, dominating in the ruck against, you know, two blokes for Brisbane who aren't even ruckmen. Um, I say dominating, but he kept hitting it to the Brisbane players. But anyway, he, he was dominating the hitouts at least. For, for Brisbane to snatch this victory, very, very good for them. And, and the question marks will come on to Collingwood now. Like, if they're, if they're going to be a good team this year, you've got to be able to hang on to a game like that. To be in front for almost the entire game, except for a little bit in the first quarter, and then and then drop it with a goal after the siren against you. Like, teams train for this. They train, I would imagine, quite a lot for these close end-of-game scenarios, and they just butchered it. And, you know, there's talk of Buckley swinging the axe on John Noble, which is pretty rough just off one passage of play where Zach Bailey got away from him. He wasn't amazing for the rest of the game, Noble, but, you know, it's rough to swing the axe just on one play. Um, But he does need to swing the axe on a couple others, like Hoskin Elliott isn't doing much. Um, 
there, there are others, but it'll be very interesting to see how, to what extent he reacts. Buckley, does he overreact? Does he underreact? Does he, you know, apart from not getting the four points, does, is he pretty content with their performance? I don't know. Guess we'll wait and see. I don't know who they've got this week. It's the Giants with the MCG. Well, that probably won't bother them. You don't, you wouldn't think, but um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how they respond, especially at selection. Be very interesting. All right, then on. Fr- oh, excuse me. My apologies. And then on Friday, Friday we had two games. I didn't know if there was going to be two games on Good Friday. Um, just quickly, just because there isn't, honestly, there isn't a lot to talk about. I'll talk about the belting, the absolute demolition of the the North Melbournes at the hands of the Western Bulldogs by 128 points. My God. Josh Bruce, I'm so wrapped for you, bud. Ten goals. Is absolutely fantastic. He he's been a warrior for his entire AFL career. He's always tried so bloody hard. He just hasn't always been able to pull it all together. But he did. He really did on Friday. Ten goals. Ten goals. Two. I think he kicked. Ten goals. Two. Twenty-one touches. Ten marks. Amazing performance, and. You know, it says to me that we're, this won't be the only big, big bag that we see this year. Harry Mackay kicked seven goals, five yesterday, so he could have been another one who kicked ten. So that would have been really something. But, um, yeah, rap for Brucey. He really deserves it. The, the Bulldogs, I mean, you can't really analyse this victory a whole lot because they were just, they were playing little boys. That like, th- th- this was a complete team who is going to seriously contend for the flag this year, and is playing like it against you know a team of very young, very inexperienced players who, credit to them, actually put in a bit of effort for as long as they could, but you know we haven't we haven't had a blowout like this in the AFL in some time. I mean, this will happen a bit this year with, you know, this increased scoring that we're going to get. And North Melbourne, I imagine, will be on the receiving end of it more than just this time. They're they're in for a long year. But gee whiz, yeah, their, their effort faded away gradually, especially in the second half. I think they keep Two goals in the second half. And the Bulldogs hit another 16. 16. Far out. Um, I don't know. I don't, I, don't, I don't think North can really do anything about it. Like, they, they just got to work on keeping their effort up and their intensity and their pressure for four quarters. They're not going to be able to, you know, outskill and outplay these other good teams, but they've got to at least go with them in terms of intensity and effort for longer so that they're not getting smashed by 100 points every week. But yeah, apart from that, there isn't a whole lot they can do. They've got to accept where they're at, which I think they have. Um, David Noble just about said as much. 
they've got to accept where they're at, get games into these young players, and, you know, this won't last forever, this pain, but, it, you know, it is going to be the norm for them this year, definitely. All right, and then the other game on Friday was an absolute ripper. It was actually another close-ish game. Adelaide defeating the Gold Coast by 10 points. And this this has saved my tipping. If this had gone the other way, my tips would have suddenly been in real trouble. So I'm very happy that I tipped Adelaide. Um, and I'm happy that they are now able to win games that you know are in the balance. So that, that last quarter, which was absolutely thrilling, by the way, was a great arm wrestle. Like, such a great story as well. Jared Witz goes down with a knee injury in the dying seconds of the third quarter. And you think, oh, Gold Coast are done. Their captain, their ruckman, their only ruck is gone. And, you know, Adelaide are playing all right. But then Gold Coast come out and kick the first two goals of the quarter and, you know, jump out to a lead. Think, crikey, this is on. Then Adelaide get one back, take the lead again. Gold Coast get one back, take the lead back. You're like, this is game on. It was a ripping last quarter. Really intense. But in the end, Gold Coast just did not have the ability to go with Adelaide for the rest of the term. And Adelaide got the last couple, ended up winning by 10 points. Taylor Walker again, kicking a bag. He's now kicked 17 goals for the year. And I want to talk about the responsibility that now lies with the Adelaide Football Club and the Adelaide Football Team specifically. We have not had a player kick 100 goals in a season since 2008 when Lance Buddy Franklin did it playing at Hawthorne. They have an opportunity. No, they have an obligation to get Taylor Walker to 100 goals this year. Feed him the football every chance you get. He's only got 83 to go and 19 games. Very doable. If he maintains this this average and this consistency, he will get there comfortably. Um, and what I like about where he's taking his game to is it's not that, you know, the adjustments to the game have made it, you know, more text friendly. No, he has ripped the competition apart on his own, you know, through sheer will, he, he has changed his game or, you know, refreshed his game to become, at the moment, the most damaging forward in the competition. He's always been an amazing set shot, especially from outside 40 metres. Um, but now he is just stupid lethal, ridiculously damaging. Like, he, I think he's 30 years of age or 31 years of age. He, he looks like how he was playing five years ago, four years ago, or however long when he was when he was at his absolute peak. He's back to that 100%, 100%. And it's, it's really exciting to watch. And I do not look forward to when St Kilda have to play the Crows because 
Although Dougal Howard is a very, very good defender. I don't know if he's going to have the pace and the, you know, the agility to go with Tex and the way he's performing. So I don't look forward to that, but well done, Tex, indeed. Um, Gold Coast. Gold Coast are going to struggle without wits, for sure. Um, do they still have Zach Smith on their list? After they got him back from Geelong? I wonder if he'll play. don't know. But um, they were showing good signs, Gold Coast, and I still, I still think they are going to be better this year. But these are the kind of games that they need to start winning. Games that are just a little bit tougher than they would like, they need to start winning those. I, th- I think if this game had been in Adelaide, they may have been victorious. It had been in, um, had been on the Gold Coast. Excuse me, they would have been, they would have won. Um, they'll, they'll be happy to have been so competitive interstate, but it's these kind of games that they need to start winning with this enormously talented young list that they've got. And it will start to happen, but it it kind of needs to start happening pretty soon, is all I'll say. All right, next game. Next game was almost as big of an upset as the Essendon win was. Sydney defeated Richmond at the MCG. And they didn't just beat them. They didn't just, you know, this wasn't like a plucky win by a young side. You know, just, you know, just outworking Richmond just a little bit, just enough to steal a victory. No, they minced them. Sydney's, okay, John Longmire is a fucking amazing coach. If Sydney can continue this form, they don't even have to play finals now. But if they get close, if they win... 10 or 11 games, which I think they're going to do now. They've won three, and it doesn't look like the style of football they're playing is going to change. If they win 10-plus games, or if they play finals, John Longmire will win Coach of the Year. What he has done, he accepted that a rebuild was required. This is only two years ago. He accepted one was required, and they've done it in a year and a half. It is amazing what they've done. And like things like Callum Mills moving into the midfield, or Tom McCartan moving to fullback, or building a forward line that did not require Franklin to help them defeat the reigning premiers at their home ground. Oh, a lot of people still aren't buying in to Sydney's capability of doing serious damage in September, but I'm going to do it. It's round three, they're undefeated, and they've just destroyed, decimated, eviscerated the best team we've seen this century in Richmond. Um, and although Richmond do have a habit of doing this, of dropping games early in the season. Like, there's a very... There's, a, there's an enormous difference between April Richmond and September Richmond. Enormous difference. Like, difference you can see from space kind of difference, right? Um, that being said, 
Richmond would not want to lose like this. And I thought you could see that in Hardwick's post-game behaviour. I thought it was a little bit dramatic to just sit up in the box and stroke his chin for 20 minutes or however long he did. But you could see he may have identified an issue, which I think is interesting. Obviously, they had a few injuries, Richmond. That's never really been an issue for them. They've always, you know, very much adopted the mantra of soldier in, soldier out. I think they will continue to do that. But it'll be interesting to see, because they've got Port Adelaide on Friday night, who are also coming off a pretty dismal performance. Um, be very, very interesting to see how that game unfolds. But, um, but yeah, really bloody well done, Sydney. Really well done. You are playing electric football. And... You're a delight to watch. So I really, really hope you keep it up because, you know, it's it's good for football the way that you're playing is all I'll say. All right. So I've already talked about the Saints game. Saturday night. Saturday night showed me that I was a little bit wrong about both West Coast and Port Adelaide. I thought West Coast are a very good team who are probably a little bit older and a little bit slow to win the premiership this year, and I thought Port Adelaide were going to be an absolute powerhouse this year. I didn't think they were going to win every game, but I thought that they would not get beaten by like this ever. This is a thrashing. The scoreboard is actually, you know, it makes the game look a lot better for them than it was. First of all, Robbie Gray kicked a goal after the siren to bring it down to 37 points. So it was 43 points when the siren went. Um, And Port Adelaide were able to narrowly win the second half by a couple of goals. If, If the trajectory of the first half had continued, this would have been as big a loss as St Kilda's was. And that is very much how it was played. West Coast were so in control of every aspect of this game. It started in the middle with Nat Nui, who is a freak of nature. I'm not even sure is if you know if he is of nature. I feel like he's some kind of Terminator sent from the football future. He is remarkable to watch. He he, you know, gave West Coast's midfielders first use every single time. Every single time. And you can't defend that. You can't. And and then their big man. Their big man at both ends. I can't remember which show I was watching. It was like Access All Areas or one of those type ones on the AFL website. And they had this great down the ground footage behind the goals of West Coast's forward line. Their three big men, Kennedy, Darling and Allen... Most forward lines would not be able to support a setup like that. Three big men. But the way that they're all able to leave space for each other and not get at each got not excuse me, not get in each other's way and, you know, even even clear space for each other or take out, you know, 
one one of the other's defenders. Like their their synergy, not just at each end, but across the entire ground, is very very impressive. It's really impressive, and you know, given how they are at Optus Stadium, they could actually finish top four. I didn't think that they could. But they, they have a real opportunity to finish top four, which they haven't done since they won the grand final. I think they finished, I think they might have finished fifth in 2019 and 2020. Um, but yeah, they have a real opportunity to finish top four and give themselves a big chance of at least playing in a grand final. So West Coast, I think no one really, I don't think, Picked West Coast to win the flag, but they're as good a chance as Richmond or Brisbane or Geelong or Port Adelaide. I think they got to be included in that conversation with those top four teams. Although I think Geelong may not be in that conversation anymore. Um, all right, on to Sunday. Gee, the Blues needed this win, didn't they? They really needed this win. 45 points over Fremantle. I think Fremantle are... I don't know what to think of them. Like obviously they lost five, which is not ideal, um, and they've had they've got plenty of other injuries, but they were really good against the Giants last week. So I think they may be they may be at that kind of stage where they're pretty consistently good at home at Optus Stadium, but when they go into state, when they go into state against a decent or better side, they're not going to be able to win, and they may get done by six or seven goals on a number of occasions when they have to leave WA. Um, so yeah, that, that's just where Fremantle are at. I think with their injury list, they're not going to be competing for the eight like some people thought they would. That might be 12 months away. Um, but yeah, that's just where they're at, unfortunately. Carlton really, really needed this, and boy, did they put together a game. The Carlton, fan, <clears throat> the Carlton fans would have loved this. Patrick Cripps finally playing like he wants to be there. 30-something possessions, couple of goals, and he played with this ruthlessness, this captain's bully mentality. It's like, right, I'm here to lead my boys. I'm going to squish you like a little bug, and we're going to win big. Like, that's how he played. And I personally loved it. Like he, he, like, he didn't get into fights or anything like that. He was just tough. He was just tough, which is what you should be as a captain, especially when you're six foot four or however bloody tall he is. He was really good. Mackay, like I said before, kicked seven goals. Seven goals, five. It could have been ten, Harry. Why couldn't you kick ten? Um... But also, as I've said before, he's got a real issue with this bloody snap around on his left foot that he can't help but do. Every single... I said it last year as well. Every single time he will snap around on that left boot. If he gets stuck having to win the game from the left forward pocket, he will miss and Carlton will lose. Right, so he needs to fix that if he's going to be this the next big thing in their forward line, right? But yeah, apart from that, he was really, really bloody good. And the whole Carlton side put together a complete performance. So they'll be really wrapped with that. Um, 
there was only two games on Sunday, wasn't there? Because there was the extra one on Friday. Yeah, so Melbourne defeated... I mean, by the time the game was over, they defeated half of the Giants' side. So many. I've never seen, I don't think, so many injuries to one team in one game. So Melbourne ended up winning by 30, well, 34 points. Um, but that does not really represent how hard the Giants tried, to be fair to them. Like, I think they had three separate ankle injuries and then a hamstring to Matt DeBoer and then another injury to some other... Like, by the end of the game, they had no interchange left at all, which makes it pretty bloody hard to win. And they were still, at least for the first half of the last quarter, they were competitive and still in the game. But, you know... Naturally, Melbourne were just able to take control and run away with it a bit in the end. And, you know, now the Giants have got to really, well, first of all, take stock, see where they're at, see how many players they got left, and see what they can salvage from this season, which is gone now. Like, they, they can't play finals now. It's just not going to happen. Not because they're zipping three, but it's the matter in which they are zipping three. It, like you can just tell they're gone. They may even be bottom four bound. Don't know. Probably a little bit extreme. Don't know if they're going to be that bad. But it's going to be a bloody long year. And I saw something today that was interesting. Since Leon Cameron signed that extension last year. They have not won a game. They've lost six games in a row since he signed that extension. So I bet the head honchos... The Giants are really happy about that one. Um, Melbourne, Melbourne are playing really good. I mean, they haven't beaten anyone spectacularly, spectacular yet. Um, defeated Fremantle in Melbourne, which, you know, is what it is. They defeated St Kilda and, you know, in a few weeks' time, St Kilda may be firmly implanted in the bottom four. I mean, we're third bottom now, but in a few weeks' time, we may be stuck there for the rest of the year. So Melbourne's victory over us may not be that impressive in the long term. (laughs) Hopefully not. Um, And they've beat a very undermanned giant side. You know, you can obviously only beat the teams that are put in front of you, but I'll, I'll, I'll be on the bandwagon for Melbourne once they've beaten a good team. Like a proper good team. You know what I'm saying? That being said, they're playing the best footy they've played since 2018. By a long way. They're playing really, really well. They're playing an attacking, very watchable style of football. I'll I'll just talk about one player for Melbourne. You may have heard of him. He's a little fella by the name of Kasaya Pickett. And... He is going to be the best small forward in the competition for the next 10 years, calling it now. There is no one else in the competition, except for maybe like a Charlie Cameron, who plays in this manner. He is amazing to watch. Amazing. Every time the ball goes near him, he just makes something magical happen with it. And I don't think it is coincidence. So there are lots of good small forwards in the competition, and there are lots of good Indigenous small forwards in the competition. But I do not think it is a coincidence that Eddie Betts is coming to the end of his career 
while Kasai Pickett is starting his. I think this is a real serious changing of the guard. Because, like, you know, this guy's like Isaac Rankin and even Liam Ryan. Like, Liam Ryan isn't young like these guys, but that Cozzy Pickett is going to be a different kind of player. He's impossible to defend. Impossible. Because you think that the ball's not going to go anywhere near him and he just runs straight at it. He seems to just dive under people's legs and, you know, jump over their heads and just, like, completely avoid getting touched by anyone. Ends up with the footy and can kick a goal from anywhere inside 40 metres. Doesn't even have to be facing the right direction. There is no other player in the AFL that is like him. So it'll be very exciting to watch his career develop. I think he's only played like 15 games or something ridiculous like that. And his highlight reel is already spectacular. So Melbourne fans will be wrapped with how he's going. Very much wrapped. Um, and then we finished up the round this, this afternoon with a really interesting game. So obviously the, the Geelong Hawthorne games, especially these Easter Monday games are always great. They somehow always manage to put on a show and this was another close one. And I wouldn't say it was super exciting, but it was pretty exciting. But what these games seem to have turned into Seems kind of like it's it's just it's Brad Scott, no Chris Scott versus Alistair Clarkson. It's not Geelong versus Hawthorne. It's those two blokes versus each other, and they're kind of like Sherlock Holmes and Moriarty playing chess against each other without looking at the board. Right? It's just who is smarter than the other, who can outcoach the other. That's what it said. They, these two have been doing this for a decade. Against each other, right? And it's, it's entertaining to watch from that aspect, but the games are not always the most entertaining. Because it's, you know, it, like Geelong seem committed to not buying into this new way of playing the game. They want to chip pass and control and, you know, fair enough, it's winning them games. Barely. Barely, they were very, very, very lucky to win last week. And had the game gone on for another five minutes this week, they would not have been able to hold on. Um, It'll be interesting to see where they're at. Probably come the bye, come midway through the year. You know, are they going to be able to keep winning these close games that are a bit iffy? Or are they going to start to drop them? and start to slide down the ladder. A couple of injuries today, Higgins and Evans, I think. They're still yet to have Jeremy Cameron in the side. Be interesting to see what happens once he comes in. Um, Yeah, definitely a watch this space on Geelong. That being said, they, they did at one point deliver what I think to this stage is goal of the year and it won't even be nominated for goal of the year but what Jack Henry and and Jordan Clark did in the last quarter 
running down the centre of the ground at full speed, handballing back and forth over to Hawkins, back over to Henry, back over to Clark, was the most exciting bit of football I've seen so far this year. They, they, first of all, I had no idea how fast Jack Henry was. I knew Jordan Clark was fast because he won the grand final sprint last year. But gee whiz, the two of them sprinting up the middle, not being able to be stopped by anybody, and then finishing off with that goal was so awesome to watch. That's just straight up awesome. That was like a grand final level moment. You know, it was like that Jeddah Rioli chase in 2012. Like, that's what it was like. Awesome moment. Really, really. I loved the shit out of that moment. Um, so thank you for that, boys. That was very, very entertaining. Hawthorne, I think, are going to be fine this year. They're not going to play finals. There's no way they play finals. But they're not going to be bottom four. And I said that in the preseason when they were playing, you know, pretty decent. Like, they don't seem like a bottom four side. If they end up there, it's going to be by bad luck. But they, they are playing some pretty decent footy, and they're going to be competitive in most games this year, which I think people wouldn't have expected. Uh, just just goes to show what a coach Alistair Clarkson is. That he's not to the level that Longmire has, but he's been able to just bring this list back together just a little bit in the last 12 months, which is really impressive. All right. That will do for this one, guys. Um, yeah, watch this space on Geelong and on, and on St Kilda, obviously. God, come on, St Kilda, please. I'd like to say something good about you next week. Please, please impress me. All right. Yeah, thanks so much for listening, guys. Hope you're enjoying the football as much as I am so far this year. It's been pretty bloody good. Um, and I hope it continues. Remember to... Subscribe to the podcast and whatever feed you get it from. Follow me on Instagram, time spent underscore podcast. Like my stuff, comment on my stuff, review my stuff. I'd really appreciate it. And I will catch you guys next time. Bye.